Welcome to Financially Ever After, where award-winning and nationally recognized financial expert Stacy Francis will bring you savvy tips and words of wisdom on how to secure your financial future before, during, and after divorce. For 30 minutes every other week, you'll hear personal stories from women who have either faced or are currently facing this transition. In addition, you'll also soak up knowledge and inspiration from the industry's top legal, financial, residential, and mental health professionals. And now here's our host, Stacy Francis. It's great to be here. Welcome to Financially Ever After, coming to you every other week with the information you need to make smart decisions during and after your divorce. We bring in great experts like we have here today, as well as individuals like yourself, who's actually gone through the journey of divorce. And I have to tell you, every single one of them says to us and shares that their life is so much better after. So it's with that inspiration and with that information that we give to you. And today we have a special topic, a topic that hopefully you don't know anything about. But unfortunately, many women who have been married have, and that is gaslighting. We're going to be understanding more about what this means, about what you can do to get yourself out of the situation. And importantly, if you see someone who might be a victim, what you need to do to make sure that you are there for them, to support them. And today we have Meredith Sherry, who is a psychotherapist who specializes in treating relationship issues through couples therapy. She's the founder and practice director of her New York-based private practice, which actually includes a team of other professionals. In addition to seeing clients, she's also been very busy and was featured on TV. You may recognize her from her photo. Both Bravo TV, Elite Daily, Bustle, Romper, and the Thought Catalog. She is an advocate of mental health care. And she's also been asked to speak at LinkedIn and several other corporations about her expertise. And also, many of her comments have been featured in the New York Times. So it's great to have you here. Thank you for being here, Meredith. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I would love to hear what brought you to this profession. It's not very often that you will meet a little girl and say, what do you want to be? And she's like a couples and relationship therapist. (laughs) So typically most people have a journey that brings them to that. Just, you know, what you ever feel comfortable of, you know, sharing with us, what are some of the reasons that you've decided to enter this field? Yeah, sure. It's always an interesting question. I think for every therapist, right? It's like, what brought you to this field, right? Because it's very rewarding, but it's also very, very high demand in terms of just, you know, your own ability to kind of take on from others, right? So for a lot of therapists, we are these kind of people who have this propensity for wanting to help, wanting to give. So we tend to be these people who maybe, you know, in some area of our life, either we felt really good from giving to others, or there's been that kind of validation from that. And so kind of the same thing for me, I was actually, we were talking before the podcast, and I was telling Stacy a little bit about this, that my parents went through a pretty contentious divorce when I was 16. They actually never argued. I never saw them argue a day in my life. 
until the day they decided, okay, we're getting a divorce. And so, you know, kind of going from, you know, very quiet household to lots and lots of tension. And so I was at this age where, and by the way, I love my parents. I had a very good childhood. This is not parent bashing, but they put me in the middle of it. I had a younger sister. She was young enough that all of us, me included, tried to protect her from it. And then I kind of became this mediator in a lot of ways and the go-between. And in some ways that became kind of normalized. And I kind of became used to having these adult conversations and understanding adult relationships and thinking, you know what, I kind of see from both people where there's some fault here. I don't think either of you are entirely right or entirely wrong. Let me see if I can help sort out what this middle ground is, right? And help you to see it in a different way. So, you know, to some efficacy with one of my parents and less so with the other. But I also found that, you know, I'm not actually so drained by this. I mean, in some ways, they're not great effects. But for the most part, I found that I actually find conversations about relationships and helping people with these things to be energizing rather than depleting. And then I figured out, oh, hey, you know, psychology is pretty fun majoring college. And okay, and there's graduate school. So there's actually a way to make a decent living off of this. Okay, why not? Mm -hmm. But what's interesting is that you've been doing this essentially the majority of your life. I only know how awful my teenager years were. They were, and we should have other podcasts about that. You can only imagine. Oh gosh, the, teen trauma. <laughs> yeah, teen trauma. I think we all have teen trauma, oh, right? We, we could do a reality TV show for, <laughs> for, I'm sure, many of us listening. But not only are you dealing with being a teenager, but you're dealing with your, your parents divorcing. You're finding yourself as a mediator, trying to protect your, your younger sister and being thrust into very adult situation. And the fact that you could actually see from both sides each of their faults, that's unbelievably mature. But it really goes to show, too, that you definitely must have been cut from a cloth that you can do this work because not everybody can. And you also see some pretty horrific things. And being able to have that person in your bubble to support them, but being able to let them go. And today we're talking about gaslighting because I know you have seen this in your practice, both from the perspective of working with a couple and recognizing that that's going on and trying to help that couple together but then also working with individuals and through your working with them, clearly recognizing that this is occurring. Um, but before we dive into that, gaslighting is not a term that I think is really spoken about. In fact, before I came to this field um, two decades ago, I never understood what gaslighting was. I, it made no sense to me. Can you talk to our listeners what is gaslighting? What is maybe the, the more technical term? And what might be some things that you might see in everyday life to kind of give you a tip of, oh my gosh, is that, is that me or is that my sister? Mm -hmm. is, you know, is that my mom? Is she dealing with those things? Right, absolutely. So, so gaslighting is a term that actually came from a British play back from 1939. It was called Gaslight. And so what 
kind of the the plot of this was was that there was this very abusive husband and he was trying to conceal a big thing he was trying to kind of have this scandal and make it very covert and so his way of distracting from this very bad thing that he was doing was to convince his wife that she was crazy so this was back in the days of you know kerosene lamps and that kind of thing and so he would do things he tried to convince her she was a kleptomaniac and would do all of these things like dimming the lights. And then when she would say, oh, are the lights getting darker looking and saying, well, no, of course not. Right. So it's it's this idea that basically someone is convincing you that your reality is crazy. It would be as though I'm wearing a purple dress. Right. It would be as though, you know, you said, Meredith, that's a lovely purple dress. And I looked at you with a very straight face and said, Stacey, this dress is green. What are you talking about? Right. It's a very jarring thing. And that's why it's so damaging is because what it really is inherently is making you question your own reality. Right. Now, what gaslighting is not is it's not kind of just a one time. Oh, you're misremembering something. Right. This is this is a pervasive pattern and it's aimed at gaining control over somebody. So that's a little bit about kind of what it looks like. Right. Again, it's telling someone that this objective fact that, you know, right and telling you that's not the case, right? And it's not done so because this is just a difference of opinion or difference of perspective. This is really at its heart, I am doing this with the malicious intent to gain control and to make you question yourself. So, you know, again, I I think it's, sometimes I see this thrown around haphazardly, especially in couples therapy and someone saying, oh, you're gaslighting me. And sometimes it's like, well, hold on a second. That term actually has a lot of weight. Let's be very, very careful with what it is and what it's not. And how we use it. Right, exactly, exactly. So Meredith and I went to to lunch yesterday. We've been hanging out a lot. (laughs) We've been having (laughs) lots of fun. It's been great. Um, And we were talking about an article that a wonderful matrimonial lawyer named Adria Hillman brought to my attention and I hadn't hadn't ever seen it before. And I, I read it and it was talking about using technology to support your efforts of having your spouse question themselves. Mm-hmm. That now that we have iPhones and I mean, scared the jeers out of me, although my husband would never do this. Although I mean, bless, I mean, he would never do this, but let, let me just say that I know many, you, you say never, but knock on wood, he better not. Um, <laughs> but we, we have everything in our home controlled electronically from our iPhone. And so you can change the temperature, you can change the lights, you can change the volume of any type of electronic, whether it's the TV, it's the radio, you can set alarms uh, to, to just go off. So, mm-hmm. you know, set alarm in 10 minutes to go off. And what I was reading in this article is that this is the newest way of gaslighting, of having your spouse start to question themselves. So turning the heat up really high uh, remotely and all of a sudden it's really hot. I don't understand why it's, is it just me? Um, Mm -hmm. Turning on volume all of a sudden really loud. Um, Do you hear that? That's really loud. No, I don't. I don't hear that. It's unbelievable that something that is, you know, was termed in the 1930s back in the, you know, many, many years ago, not quite a hundred years ago, but we're not that far off, that we're almost seeing the next generation of it as well. 
Right, right. It's And it's fascinating that you bring this up, right? Because I was thinking about this as well when she mentioned this at lunch yesterday that, you know, it came from this idea of someone actually dimming kerosene lamps. And we've almost gone full circle to now it's, you know, I can use my phone and I can dim the lights, right? Oh, but yeah, remotely even. Exactly, exactly. You don't even have to, you don't even have to be in the same country, right? It's fascinating, right? And at the heart of it, the goal is still the same right? I need to make you question your reality so much, right? That you question your judgment, you question your, your sanity, even in its kind of most, most extreme forms, right? And that allows me to have control over you, right? Because if you question your judgment, and I say my judgment is superior, right? You're going to be much more likely to, okay, well, because I can't trust myself, I, I must trust you, right? So it gives that person that ability to wield a lot of control and power in the relationship. Any form of abuse, always at the heart of it is this need for power, this need for control, right? I need to have control over you because, you know, then you're going to do what I want you to do and you're not going to push back. So in not using um, names, of course, because of your profession, but what examples have you seen of gaslighting? You know, what what was his motivation? Yes, control, mm-hmm. right? Yes, power, but... Um, you talk about where this term came from originally it was, you know, a play uh, that debuted in Britain in 1939, where it was, he was trying to hide some malicious behavior. Mm-hmm. Do you see this also being kind of a disguise so that she doesn't know about maybe his cheating or doesn't know about his financial difficulties? What are some of the reasons that they would do this. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head with that. So the goal of this, right, is to divert attention away from one's own negative behavior, right? And projections used a lot, right? If someone says, I can see that you're lying and saying, no, you're lying, right? That kind of thing. So projecting, I don't like this about me. I'm going to accuse you of it, right? Uh, So that's why a lot of times when people talk about, you know, someone who's a, who's, chronically having affairs and that kind of thing saying, oh, you know, they accuse me of cheating all the time, all the while they were, they were cheating, right? So it's about diverting attention from your negative behavior onto the other person, right? Because it's almost this ruse you create so that it diverts away from this very negative thing that you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Because I've thrown you so off balance. I've jarred you so much by making question reality that you completely forget about this thing that I'm actually doing on the side over here. So cheating is actually a huge one. So something I've seen, and and it's a fascinating thing. Um, so it, male and female dyad, um, the female partner was contacted via email by the person that was the other woman in the situation, basically. The saying, one that he was cheating with. Right. right. Yeah. So she contacted the wife. Right. The wife and said, um, and with in an email with screenshots attached and saying, I wanted you to know that this has been happening. Right. I had no idea that he was involved with somebody else. And so screenshots um, with his phone number, not his name, his phone number and his vernacular, things that only he would know about. So she presents this to him and he says, how could you think I would do that? People use apps all the time to change phone numbers. Like, how could you even accuse me of this, right? So all the sentence that she's bad for accusing him, despite very obvious physical evidence, right? How a phone yeah. number, like yeah. things, that, things that only he would know, right? Things that one of them, because this came up in the session, a conversation where they were at a restaurant that they frequented. The couple was at a restaurant that they frequented very often. And he was texting the other woman and mentioning the name of this restaurant 
and things like that, right? So there's very irrefutable evidence, right? Again, it's almost, you know, looking at the sky and saying the sky is blue and saying it's red. What are you talking about, right? That kind of thing, you know? And it almost convinced her for a second. It almost convinced her because she's like, well, that's going back to the technology. Well, there are apps that do that. What if this is kind of something, right? So it's it's scary how easily it can happen, you know, yeah. even, even and, um, um, to smart people. I oh, mean, these are not, absolutely. And, and that's what, you know, I think we often think, oh, you know, she's not the sharpest tool in the tool shed, oh, mm-hmm. you know, but this can really happen to, to anyone. And it's shocking how easily it can happen. And, you know, you bring up something really, really profound, Meredith, that, when someone's presented with this evidence that you're cheating, that they then turn it back on the victim saying, how is it that you don't trust me? How dare you? How, right. how can we make our relationship work if you're always so suspicious? And, you know, then thinking, oh my God, are you, maybe it is me. Maybe it is me. Back to that questioning. How would someone who's in a relationship and maybe someone who even is listening today, how would they recognize that this is what's going on? Hmm. It's, it's difficult, right? Um, the biggest thing is to do some really simple grounding to remind yourself, right, of your reality, right? So doing kind of that reality testing. Okay. You know, looking at that phone number. That's this person's phone number. Looking at the content of that, right? Reminding yourself and even doing very simple grants. Sometimes we have to do it almost as though, and we tell people when they're even having like an anxiety or a panic attack, right? To do some grounding. So it's this idea of bringing yourself back into the present, bringing yourself back into the room, right? So that you don't get kind of lost in all these other symptoms um, and and grounding yourself. And this is what I see. I'm in my body. You know, I'm yeah. seeing what's in front of me. I'm not in some alternate universe, right? And so so one of the simple grounding things we'll do, like when someone's having a panic attack is saying, okay, label things in the room, do it out loud. I see this microphone, I see a coffee cup, right? And doing things like with your five senses saying, okay, what is something you could physically feel? So have people tap their feet on the floor and say, okay, tell me about how it feels to have your shoe hit the floor, right? You know, what is something that you can hear right now? You know, I can hear, you know, the buzzing of, of whatever, right? Or a siren going by, right? Okay, what's something you can smell? I can smell this candle, right? So bringing them back into the room, into the present and talking about things that are happening kind of in the moment, just to remind yourself, I'm in my body, I'm here now, right? So that you don't get lost in that. And then talking about, okay, so now let's take this grounding a step further and do the reality testing, right? Okay, so, you know, they're telling you the sky's purple or something like that. And looking up and saying, what do you see, right? And allowing yourself to remind yourself, despite whatever this other person might be saying, that I know my truth, right? And and it's valid. Yeah. And sometimes it, it's a lot easier done sometimes when you're kind of on your own. And so sometimes it's actually better to not try to incorporate other people in this because, um, a lot of times people who have this propensity to engage in gaslighting behaviors tend to have a, a lot of narcissistic qualities, not always, but narcissism and gaslighting tend to go hand in hand. And tell me about what narcissism is, because we, I feel like that's another term that we say, oh, he's a narcissist, but what, what really is considered a narcissist? Right. Yeah. So, and this is kind of part of this, but what the narcissist person will do a lot of times is they'll kind of recruit people to back them up. Right. 
So, well, your, your friend says the same thing. Your, your sister says you're, too, so you're sensitive too, right? Or this person agrees with me, therefore you are the problem and you're the crazy one. So that's a very narcissistic quality as well. A lot of times they'll do this, right? They kind of ban this army against you, uh, which is again, why it's important to do grounding like by yourself. But then again, kind of where narcissism and gaslighting go hand in hand is that for the narcissist, inherently what this is, is, you know, an actual very, very fragile sense of self, but they defend against that by projecting this very self-aggrandizing way. And so a lot of times what they'll do, especially in romantic relationships, is they will kind of tout themselves as this very superior person, right? I'm better than you. I know better than you. Um, You know, my way is better than you. Um, Even though if I'm feeling fragile or whatever, or I'm terrified that you're going to leave me, my way of defending against that is to act in ways that are very controlling to do things that, again, wield a lot of power and control and try to tell you, you are less than I am better. So that's that's some kind of typical narcissistic, you know, overarching pieces of that. But, you know, the thing about, and you're right, narcissism gets so thrown around so much these days. And listen, we all at some point display slightly narcissistic characteristics, right? Mm -hmm. Anyone who's ever taken a selfie, that's a little narcissistic. Now, it is not pervasive (laughs) and it's not impairing your functioning, but where it becomes kind of a clinical concern is, is this impairing your functioning? Is this pervasive across most facets of your life, right? Um, Is this something that's been pretty characteristic uh, throughout your lifespan? So for a lot of times, the narcissistic person too, you know, there's this this need for attention, right? Either there is a deficit or kind of overgiving of attention a lot of times in childhood. And so sometimes what they'll do, especially in the gaslighting relationships, is they're doing things that try to get the attention of the other person, even if it's in terrible, terrible ways, right? But if I can get you to kind of spin out and ask me questions and, you know, question yourself based on something I'm saying, it's giving me a little bit of attention, you know, or if I make up this lie about... Another one I heard from from someone is that, so her partner rode a bicycle to work every day, right? And, you know, it's New York. Of course, you would imagine that at some point, maybe, maybe an accident would happen. But it was like a pattern of this person telling her over and over, calling, oh my gosh, I'm this terrible back accident. And of course she, oh my gosh, are you okay? What's going on? And then I'm fine. Everything's fine. Okay. And then getting home, not a scratch on this person, not a scratch on the bike. And the worst one, um, she said that she got a call from him, right? And oh my gosh, he just got this terrible accident. He's going on and on about how, you know, he flipped over the bike and he's people had to pull him out of the street before a car came. Like this, this elaborate story, very elaborate story, how the bike was so mangled, it was unrideable. And so she's trying to offer, okay, what can we do? And, 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 oh, and the guy drove off. I didn't even, you know, get to confront him. And okay, so what can we do? You know, can I, can I help you go to the police? Can I help you with this? No, 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 not doing any of that. That seems odd, right? And then getting home that day, he brought the bike home. Not a scratch on it. Not a scratch on his clothes, not a tear, nothing. Wow. Two things. So first piece, it sounds like he's doing this for attention, right? He wants to be the son in her life and he wants to hear from her um, how much she cares about him, kind of as a, a validation. Right. So that might be some of, and I'm sure there are other motivations. Um, But what does she then say when you just told me the bike was mangled and there's not a scratch on it? Like, I mean, I have to tell you as like a, just, you know, one plus one equals two, who's going to buy that? Who's going to buy that story? And how does he even have like the functioning to bring the bike home? Like, is he that, so that's something again, where it's just like, 
black and white, but he thinks that she's going to not, you know, not question the fact that the bike's okay. So how did that play out? Right. Well, so, and here's the interesting thing in tying the attention piece to this too, right? In the beginning of the relationship, it was a slow buildup, right? He'd talk about the bike accidents, but they'd be smaller. They'd be less frequent, you know, less, less traumatic, less kind of, you know, okay. and so they were believable. Yeah. But the more she pulled, because she finally caught on to this, obviously, um, and started taking steps to get out of the relationship. So the less attention she gave him, the more grandiose these stories became, the more elaborate they became. And when she started questioning him is when he would do the doubling down. How could you ask me that? I can't believe you'd say that or making things up like, well, the bike shop fixed it, you know, in an hour when she had said, okay, but I've seen you bring this bike to this shop for a tune-up and they keep it for a week. But mm-hmm. somehow they, they un, you know, unmangled this bike so that you could ride it home an hour later. I mean, that, that makes no sense, right? But this happened later in the relationship as she was getting closer to leaving. So the less attention she gave him, the more elaborate, the more grandiose, the more, quite frankly, unbelievable the stories became. And so even though he thought he was doing this to wield more attention, she actually started giving him less and less. Now, at the same time, the caveat to that was that he also became a lot more threatening and dangerous in other ways. Mm -hmm. Which is something that I think is really important to know too. So usually someone who needs control who needs power over you, I imagine is not what we would consider a well-adjusted, stable person. Right. And again, so typically this goes, and this is why this goes with someone who's narcissistic, because that's, you know, again, someone who's pathologically narcissistic, you know, there's, there is an absolute lack of adjustment there. And that's someone who needs help, right? But they are probably not going to get it. So the difference in gaslighting versus just having, you know, maybe a difference in perspective or something is that the gaslighting is pervasive and it has the goal of malicious intent and a need for control, right? And you could go into a multitude of reasons as to where that comes from, why these people are like that, right? We could spend hours. I'm sure there are numerous books written on this. Exactly. And studies. Exactly. But but the point basically is is that the difference in because listen, we've all had this this kind of thing happen, right? Where maybe you go home and it's oh, I thought this happened on Tuesday. I thought this happened on Wednesday, right? You know, where there's a difference in memory from you and your partner, right? When your partner responds to you in a way that says, Oh, okay, you know, they're they allow you to misremember basically, right? And it's not you always misremember things. You have such a terrible memory. You're so sensitive, right? So it's the pattern of that over time that becomes more and more intense to the point that you, you know, maybe in the beginning of the relationship, you didn't see yourself as a sensitive person. And then towards the middle or end of it, you're like, I am the most sensitive person in the world. You know, I can't be trusted because you've internalized that message so much, right? That, that it's become part of the narrative and how you see yourself. So misremembering where that's allowed, right? You know, or where you can question versus someone who does this over time with the intent of gaining control and and kind of coercing you into doing what they need you to mm-hmm. or overlooking their terrible behaviors. Mm-hmm. So you find yourself, you recognize, oh my gosh, this is not a healthy relationship. Or you see this with your girlfriend, right? And, you know, you've heard her side of the story, you maybe even have seen the two of them together where you start to see clues that something might be going on. What do you do as that next step? Because I imagine you're going from a place where you've just been 
ripped to shreds, bare bones, and that your trust of yourself, your strength in yourself is just, is gone. How do you, how do you support someone? Or if this is, if this is something you recognize is happening in your own relationship, what do you do? And also understanding that there could be some danger depending on the relationship and the person you're dealing with. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you, and by the way, if anyone listening to this is a bit triggered, um, there are a number of resources online. Uh, just Google, you know, gaslighting or therapist near me or something like that. Get help. Don't do this alone. So not alone. Google gaslighting, Google therapist near mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Yeah. Go to psychology today. Psychology um, today. Right. If it's gotten to the point that, you know, you're hearing something and you realize, holy moly, I'm, I'm really in kind of the, the bad. I'm really nervous. This. Yeah. Or I'm realizing like I'm in the weeds with this, right? Do not confront the perpetrator, you know, do not think that you're going to be able to change this person or to get them to change their behaviors by going toe to toe with them. That's not going to work. And this is not you kind of rolling over. This is you finding a safe way to get out. So you need to get out of it though, right? And you're not going to be able to get out of it by going toe-to-toe with them. Again, if this is something where, you know, in the very extreme version that we're talking about, if you're on that end, that, that will not help you. So what you need to do is, again, safely, and you might not even be able to Google this from your own computer phone, if this is a person who maybe checks your search history, that kind of thing, you Go know. the library. Right, exactly. Do Go something. to the library. Uh, if, if it would be okay at your place of work, maybe, or something like that. An outlet that this person does not have access to, you know, do your research there, right? Uh, go to a therapist who is going to um, be able to help you with this. Now, the part of this too, you cannot go to couples therapy. Couple therapy is contraindicated and any good therapist will tell you this. I, if you're in a situation where your partner is that controlling, right, and their goal is control and they're not willing to re- relinquish it, right? Now, in some pretty normative relationships, there might be a little bit of a power imbalance where if you educate this other person, okay, you know, they're going to back down, they're fine. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a situation that is dangerous, right? You cannot go to couples therapy. You have to go to individual therapy. Because couples therapy, because of the way that we have to be balanced in that relationship, it might actually enable the abuser more. So it's really, really important to not bring your partner into this. You need to do this on your own. And sometimes that can be scary, right? Because most of the time after you've been in a situation like this, especially if it's gone on for years or decades, right? These people can become so isolated, right? That it's like, where do I go? Where do I turn? Who can I trust? So that's why individual therapy is probably the first thing you need to do, right? And work with someone who knows about these things, right? They know about intimate partner violence. They know about boundary issues. They they understand narcissistic personalities, that kind of thing, who can help you with that reality testing, right? When you tell these stories, a lot of times people, a lot of times what happens is women don't realize they've been through this. And so they'll come into a session and they'll say, you know, I'm, I'm just so sensitive in my relationship. I need to change me because my partner's so unhappy and, and it's all my fault. It's all my fault, right? And they have this almost kind of scared, tenuous, I'm so bad, help make me better for him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then as you hear these stories, you realize it's not, not you, yeah. yeah. And and so you have to you have to very, very gently validate their concerns but also then help them to gently kind of challenge and say, hold on a sec, but let's talk about the facts here and do in a very gentle but objective way of saying, hold on a sec, that was his phone number. 
That was his phone number, right? Who else would have known about that? How could someone fake that? Because those are such intimate details of your relationship. Also, let's look at the next text message. There's a picture. You know, there's a picture of him. You know? So I'm such a list person. (laughs) Do you ever recommend to someone say, okay, write down all the things about what he is saying that make sense and are believable? Write down all the things that don't make sense. Absolutely. And are really not. And just actually seeing it concrete on a piece of paper. I know for me, sometimes that speaks to me and it helps. I mean, and I do the same thing with, I mean, bless, I did a pro and con list when I married my husband. Michael, (laughs) if you're listening. Now the good news, the pro was much, much, much longer (laughs) and it still is today. But um, that being concrete, kind of similar to like tapping your foot. Like this is me right now. This is, I can feel that that's what's going on and that's real. And then you have that piece of paper that's going on. That's what's going on. That is real. Mm -hmm. I can see that. And I also so appreciate you sharing that that first step is you work with a therapist. You work with a therapist who understands this work and you get the support that you need knowing that as much as you fantasize about it, you cannot fix him. Exactly. And there's a reason why you cannot get this from your friends or your family because one, they know this person. So also to, to your point, um, to go back just for a second, that intervention you talked about is a powerful intervention and I've, and I've used it before, but we have to do it in the session. We have to do all of these things there because if that piece of paper goes home, oh my God, it could be incredibly dangerous, right? So there's a lot that we have to do like that. And again, that's a beautiful intervention. And, you know, you could have been a therapist in another life. Um, but, but we have to do it in session because I have to make sure that we're doing everything we can to make sure that this person is safe. Yeah. And again, the abuser either isn't going to lash out or, you know, again, keep perpetuating the cycle of you're not believable, you're crazy, you're making things up, da, 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 right? So that's one thing is it has to happen in the session, cannot go home with them, you know? So I'll even say, is it okay if I keep this and maybe I show you again, right? Yeah. You know, so if it comes up again, be like, let's look at this, right? So it's helpful, but we have to be careful. Um, and the reason why you need to go to a therapist, to, to a mental health professional in some capacity um, and not to your family and friends is again, sometimes, especially someone who's high on narcissism and also doing the gaslighting will tend to rally people to back them up, right? And so sometimes too, they're very, very good at making sure that these things happen behind closed doors where it's your word against theirs. Yeah. My, well, my mom says you're sensitive too. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Or, you know, so-and-so said, you know, yeah, you're so emotional. It's not just me. Right. Exactly. Where again, you're like, oh, well, maybe, I mean, maybe I am. We are coming to the end. So I really want to get to this part. Um, it's gone so fast. What do you do if you see a girlfriend's marriage or relationship with a significant other or your sister? Or how do you do this if they don't see it, but you see signs? Right. Yeah. And it's difficult because, again, you know that they're going back into that when you finish, right? So the first thing is, is you have to be very, very mindful of not putting them in a situation that's dangerous. So you do not contact the abuser. 
you do not contact them. You do not confront them. You do not confront them. You do no. not say, stop doing this. I right. know what you're doing. Absolutely not, because it will make it worse for her. Yeah. Okay. So you cannot engage with him in any way. Also, you have to be really, really mindful about the way in which you're bringing this up, where you're allowing for a place of openness and transparency and no judgment. And it is very, very easy to covertly send the message of judgment. You know, I would never be in a relationship like yeah, that. Well, why are you staying were, with him? Exactly. If it were me, I would leave, right? Or can't you see this? Because what you're doing, any kind of harshness in that tone, it sends a message of judgment. And and the thing about this, again, is that, so one, people who tend to fall into this and aren't able to get out very quickly are people who tend to be people pleasers, right? They want to make people happy. They, they're looking for that acceptance, right? And so any judgment you give them is going to make them crumble. And in a lot of ways, it's also enacting exactly what that abuser does. I know, they're being, yeah, they're being judged every single day. Absolutely. So you have to be judgment-free, Yeah. you know? Um, and sometimes that actually means holding on to this and not going to the, this is what this is. Yeah, I'm giving you almost this prescription of exactly what's wrong in your relationship, right? Sometimes that really means making space and holding a place for the thing that's really uncomfortable. And again, almost not validating the abuse, but validating their feelings, mm-hmm. right? Letting them know this is safe. You're lovable. I love you unconditionally. Nothing will change that, right? And sometimes, again, that means just kind of holding on to this information and just being there with them so that over time you can start doing that challenge and then helping them to do that reality testing and even giving them the list and saying, let's talk about this, right? But you cannot lead with that because if you do, again, you're going to send her right back into it. Exactly. And you're going to... And if essentially she might be cast you out of her life, right? Because all mm-hmm. of a sudden you are deemed the enemy as well. Right. You're and, not and who, Yeah, who wants that? Exactly. So wow. sometimes this means you know, again, kind of making space for the thing that you're very, very uncomfortable with, which is sometimes, you know, again, making space for the person that's, that's unfortunately being abusive. I had a client at one point who went through horrific emotional, physical abuse, sexual abuse from, from an intimate partner. And for about the first six months of therapy, she was talking about missing him. And if I had had one air of judgment, how could you miss him despite these horrible things this person had done? She would have left, right? She's left him. You know, she's been able to stay away. She's been able to even let go of missing this person, right? But part of that is making space and even kind of tolerating that thing that feels so awful, right? To you. Exactly. Yeah. Meredith, I cannot thank you enough. I know there are people that would like to reach out to you and I hope they do or if there's a therapist in their area. But what is the best way? Could you share your website? Um, sure. Maybe the best way to contact you. Absolutely, absolutely. And and yeah, I think it's, if you have show notes or something, it might be good to also put maybe some website links. I will. You know, to these resources. So uh, my website is www.relationshipcounselingnyc.com. We have several therapists at the practice who, who can help you with these things. If you're uncomfortable with that or if you're not in the New York area, there's a great website called psychologytoday.com. That is a directory where you can filter through uh, your zip code, if you're trying to use insurance, who your insurer is, if you have a preference of the gender of your therapist and, and the issue you're trying to search for. That is a wonderful resource, not only for therapists, but also there's a number of 
articles, that kind of thing. There are lots of articles actually on narcissism, on gaslighting, on emotional abuse. So psychologytoday.com is a wonderful resource just for if you're kind of dipping your toes into the therapy land and trying to figure it out because it can be daunting. So those are two great resources. Also, you know, your local resources for intimate partner violence. There's a domestic violence hotline. Those would be helpful things to know. If you're in immediate danger, you need to get out, but you need to do so safely. Thank you so much. And everyone, uh, we will have in the show notes, both the contact information for Meredith, as well as Psychology Today and a few other resources to help you know how to get the support that you need. Thank you for joining us for Financially Ever After. Let us know if there are any other ways that we can support you. If one of those ways is getting more knowledgeable about your finances, please reach out. We have a beautiful second opinion that will do an x-ray analysis on your overall financial situation. And that often can give you the peace of mind to start to get comfortable and empowered with your finances. Because money isn't everything, but money definitely gives you options. So thank you for joining us and we'll be seeing you in two weeks.